title of this message is Justified or Sanctified. And uh, I'm going to go to Hebrews 12. And don't get me wrong, I understand we're all justified in Christ. And we're sanctified only because of Christ. But you'll see where he's going with this. So Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls or fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that after that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no cho- chance to repent, though he sought it with his tears. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I pray for today, Lord, I pray that as we go through this this word, Lord, that you would speak through me, God, that it be your words that we hear, God, that our heart would receive it, and we would allow it to change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is uh, this little bitty, like, six lines here, or six verses, is a pretty powerful thought process. Uh, there's a lot in it. Like, it seems like whenever... When they break things down in Scripture and they keep it all together, you kind of think like, oh, it's all one thing, about one thing, but there's a lot in this. And so it talks, starts out about discipline and how it seems painful, and uh, but instead how it grows us, right? So when we have discipline and we discipline ourselves, do you, how many of you know that it's better to discipline yourself than wait for the Lord to do it? It's a lot harder when God's going to discipline you than when you just do it yourself. Right. If you would be willing to discipline yourself, it's kind of like a child. How many times does a parent have to discipline a child before they get it? And they're like, oh, maybe I should start acting right. Right. And it goes a lot better for you when you do what's right instead of waiting for somebody to make you do what's right. It's just a lot easier that way. Uh, So therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your your weak knees. And make straight the path of uh, paths of your feet. This is a uh, a weird kind of way to put this, but the way what he's writing about here is is stop walking around with your hands down. Be ready. Always be prepared. David can tell you when you're in the military, you don't let your hands droop. If your hands are drooping, the first thing you do is get your hands right, right? Lift your knees up. You have a certain way you have to walk around in the military, and if you don't do it, they will discipline you, right? That it, it's the way it happens. You have to. There's a walk that we should be having at all times that looks, that is right, instead of having to be disciplined to get there. So strive for peace with everyone. We understand that. We all want peace with everyone. Well, we, we want peace with most people. And it, uh, but strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, holiness means that being set apart being set apart for the Lord, without which we'll never see the Lord. 
And I don't know if he's saying here that you'll never make it to heaven or you'll just never see the Lord in your life. He can't be a part of an unholy life. He can't be a part of something that's not set apart. Right? He won't come and be a part of our own plans. See to it that no one fails to obtain, uh, to obtain the grace of God, that no bit, root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. We know that we don't want that. We don't want a root of bitterness in us. Like the beginning of this is pretty simple, right? And, he, uh, and by it many become defiled. That no one, uh, then it says, let no one be of sexually immoral, we all understand that. Sexual immorality, we understand the problem there. But then it says, or unholy, like Esau. And that's kind of where we're going to go with here. Or unholy like Esau. A lot of times this is passed over when we read this. Right? Because it says, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards when he desired to inherit it, inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. And we're going to go to Genesis 5, verse 23 about him. We're going to look at Esau and why it says we're not to be like Esau. Because I don't know for everybody, but I think for probably at least the majority of men, when you read about Esau and Jacob, we still look at Esau like, this guy had it together. Like he was the one. Like I look at Esau and I'm like, Hunter, taking care of the family, feeding people. What's wrong with him, right? And so we want to look at this. And uh, In verse 23 of Genesis 25, it says, And the Lord said to Rebekah, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be uh, divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. This is a prophetic word before she ever gives birth to her children. Okay? From the beginning, one is going to be stronger, but the older is going to serve the younger. You would think right there, okay, no brainer. Esau is going to serve Jacob. Right? Because we go forward and it says, uh, when her days to give birth were completed... Behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, and his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. I can't wait. I hope one day I get to see what this guy looked like. Like, he got hair like a goat, and he's red. Like, I I don't know. There's something weird about that. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And most of us understand Jacob means to clutch one's heel or... The cheater. They actually named him the cheater. Like he was a cheater. And uh, and it said Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter. This is in verse 27. A man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac... Knowing the prophetic word that Jacob would be serving or would be the leader and Esau would be serving him for some reason still took the Esau. He still favored Esau. And I think we do that sometimes as people. 
we favor the ones that we have. So like we look at them, we're like, man, that one's got it together. And we're favoring them from a worldly thought process instead of a godly standpoint. Right? It, uh, there are certain people, you just watch them and you're like, man, that guy, he's got it going on. But then there's that one person who's really serving the Lord and you look at them and you're like, they're kind of weird. Right? And we often give favor to the one who's got it together. Looks like they got it, got it figured out. Esau's not doing a bad thing. He's hunting and he's providing for his family. And a lot of times with us, we do that. We provide for our family. We're doing what we think we're supposed to be doing. We're doing everything from a world standpoint that if people from the outside are looking in, they're like, that person got it going on. They got it figured out. This is the one, right? But in verse 29, we see once when Jacob was uh, cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. And he was exhausted, and Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of your red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom, which is red. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. When Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. So we look at that, and a lot of times people are like, well, he's about to die. So he had to do whatever it took to, to survive. My thought is, is, was he really even dying, or was he just over-exaggerating? I don't know. He walked in from the field. I don't know the whole situation. He obviously probably could have beat his brother up and took the stew, right? He probably provided the means for the stew. There's probably a lot of things he could have done different than saying, yeah, man, what do I care? I'm going to die anyway, right? But even if you look at it, because we do know Jacob's a cheater, Jacob's longing to have the, the, the birthright. He's longing to have that, the, be the one that Jesus chooses, that God chose. Right, because the birthright back then wasn't just what they hear, and I'm going to read it in a minute. What they they knew from Abraham was the one who gets the birthright is the one God's going to bless all of His people through. Yet Esau despised that. He didn't like that part. He liked the idea of the stuff that comes with it, as we'll see later. But he despised the fact that he was going to be the one that everything had to go through. How many of you know that's a a big responsibility? It's a huge responsibility. And it, uh, yeah, when it says he despised it, I want you to think about kids who grow up in church. And Ryan can probably speak as a pastor's kid more than any of us. So people look at you as a person who has to do everything right all the time. You're like, you know, our church wasn't as bad, but I... I've heard stories not just of places he's been, but places everybody, other pastors' kids have been, the, the way they're looked at, the way they're, you know, everybody's like, you should be this way because you're the pastor's kid. You should do this. You should have this kind of responsibility. You should have that. And it becomes a burden more than a blessing. And I would imagine in this point, Esau having to live the way, you know, hey, I got to get you prepared to lead our people. All he wants to do is go out and hunt and live in the fields. And he's like, no, we got to get you prepared. 
We have to prepare you to lead these people. And he did not like that aspect. That's what he didn't like. He didn't want to be the leader. He didn't want to step away from what he wanted to do to serve the Lord. He liked blessings. He didn't like responsibility. He uh, he despised his birthright. And it uh, it is one of those stories when you read it, you look at it, and you're like, that is so weird that he got away with manipulating his brother. But I want you to understand, whenever he stole that birthright, whenever he traded for the birthright from his brother, that was only a birthright that his dad was going to give him. The birthright was already his from the Lord. God already already said, it was always already prophesied that the birthright was Jacob's. And so he's just solidifying it. It's my birthright. Right? God already, he already prophetically told Rebekah, the older will serve the younger. Yet Isaac's still trying to make it happen where the older gets it because that was tradition and he liked Esau. We go into Genesis 26. Woo. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar and Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go out from Egypt, dwell in the land, or out to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall uh, tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish an oath that I swear, swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all the lands. And in your offsprings all the nations and the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. As a birthright, you would have to do the same. Isaac was to do the same. Esau should be doing the same. He should be obeying the voice of the Lord, keeping his charge, keeping his commandments, keeping his statutes, and keeping the laws. We don't see everything Esau does wrong. But once you get down to verse 34, we see a very big one. Because in Genesis 24, Abraham is told, Do not let your offsprings marry the women of Canaan. Do not do it. They will be defiled if they are to do it. So what does Esau do when he's 40 years old? In verse 34 it says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, which is in Canaan. And Basemath, the ba- the daughter of Elon, to be uh, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Not only did they marry Can- did he marry two Canaanite women's women, he is making life miserable for his mom and dad. He is not a good son. Yet Esau still liked him. And whenever it talks about in Hebrews twelve, when it talks about Esau was unholy. Or some versions, like if you go to the King James or any of them, it says profane. Unholy or profane. Profane meant, fane was the word used for the temporary. It was set apart for the Lord. Profane was everything outside of that. Anything that was not set apart from the Lord was profane or unholy. That's what Esau was. He was not set apart for the Lord. He was living for himself. Right? Yet, I would imagine... Isaac's probably looking at his son, who is a man of men. Like, he was, he was a manly man. 
worldly he had it together. And I imagine Isaac's still looking at him and thinking, man, he's multiplying. Jacob's not yet. He's providing. He's strong. He was probably more of what Isaac was looking for in the, in the one to take over for him. And Jacob's hanging out with his mom in the house. Still not married, not having kids. So Esau, more than likely, in Isaac's mind, still appeared to be the one he was going to choose, even though God had other plans. God spoke it, right? Then Genesis 27, and I'm not going to read all of Genesis 27. Let's see how far down I go. Okay, Genesis 27. Uh, Isaac thinks he's going to die, even though I think it's another maybe 26, 30 years, something like that, before he dies. But he thinks he's about to die, so he's bringing Esau in, and he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out and get me some fatted meat, prepare it, and then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with your birthright. And so Esau goes out to do so. We know most of the the story of it. Rebecca Man, what a deceitful family. Rebecca hears what's going on, goes to Jacob, says, go out and get a goat for me. Kill it, bring it to me, I'm going to prepare it, and you're going to take that blessing. My mindset on this is, like, we see Rebecca, we know from the from the get-go that Rebecca's dad was a manipulator. We know she's a manipulator, and we know Jacob's a manipulator. That's how... That's how family uh, curses are handed down, right? They can be broke, though. Those kinds of things can be broken. and uh, But, so she does it, but she's also listening. She, she remembers that Jacob is the, the birthright. He's the one God chose. She remembers that. So I don't know which one of them is more wrong, if Isaac's more wrong or if Rebecca's more wrong. Doesn't really matter because God has chosen. Doesn't matter which what either one of them were going to do. God had already chosen Jacob. And the reason why he chose Jacob is because Jacob's heart was actually set on him. Jacob wanted that. He wanted to serve the Lord. He wanted the birthright. He wanted to be the one God could do all things through. He just wasn't good at it. Esau was good at worldly things, but he did not want his birthright, right? So she has him prepare food. She puts the the fur of the goat on his hands of a baby goat, which is weird to me still. How that's even possible that you rub the hand of a baby goat or the fur of a goat and you think it's your son? Like that's a hairy kid. Well, he's not a kid anymore, but like, and that course of a hair. You know, I don't get it. Like that part has nothing to do with the message. It's just really weird that he was red and a goat. It uh, but. I, I, I want to see him one day. So she does all this. He goes in. He manipulates his dad. His dad asks him two or three times, are you sure you're Esau? And he keeps saying, yep, it's me. Right? And Esau gives the blessing to him. And he walks out. And then it says in... Let's see. The blessing in verse 27 says, Isaac said, come near and kiss him. And he kissed him. 
And Isaac smelled the smell of the garments that were on him, which were his brothers, and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son, it is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So he just put this beautiful blessing over here. Everything's going to be yours. You're going to be the heir. And he said, your brother will serve you. Which is exactly what God had told Rebecca from the beginning. Right? And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had uh, scantily gone, scarcely gone away from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then? They hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it. And before you came, I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Now, part I left out about whenever Jacob brought the food to his dad beforehand, and his dad's like, How did you get this here so quickly? Jacob said, Oh, God bless me. So he he actually said God provided the food. Now, you can go into saying maybe God did because he wanted him to be the one blessed. I don't know. I just know there was a lot of scheming going on. There was a plan from the get-go, and it didn't matter the scheming of people. God's plan was still going to play out, right? And it uh, And it says he trembled, but it's actually when it says Isaac trembled, it says he was a violent tremble. It's like this, the, the wording is something like a violent tremble of his trembling or something like that. It's like really fierce trembling. And uh, a, a lot of commentaries you read on this uh, say the reason why he trembled was it was probably in that moment that Isaac realized that he was going against the Lord's plan. It was at that moment whenever he realized he gave the blessing to the younger son for the older son to serve him that he realized, wait a minute, I've been trying to go against him the whole time, against God. And it was at that moment he realized his mistake, right? Because he said he is blessed and he will remain blessed. I don't know all the cultural things of that time period, but I would imagine if he would have stoned Jacob in that moment, it probably would have been okay. I would imagine. I don't know. But he didn't. He said, he will be blessed because I have blessed him. Right? And then Esau heard the words of the father. He cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, your brother has deceitfully, uh, deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And Esau says, is he not rightly named Jacob, meaning cheater? For he, is, for he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? 
Now, I want you to remember, whenever Esau traded away his birthright, Scripture says he despised his birthright. He could care less about his birthright. He could care less about his place with the Lord. But the moment his blessing was taken away, he starts crying. Because all he cared about is what God could give him. He didn't care about his place with the Lord. Right? And I think sometimes we can get that way as, as Christians. We can get to the place that where we, we know we want to go to heaven, we want God to take care of us, we want this, that, and the other, but we kind of despise the lifestyle. We, we don't want to take the time. We want, we want to be blessed more than we want to be sanctified, to be set apart for. Jacob was trying to be set apart for the Lord. Esau was trying to justify what he was doing. And he was doing a good job of it with people because his dad was the one who was trying to choose him over and over. He was really good at manipulating his father. He was not good at manipulating God. And it, uh, we can be very good at playing the part and looking good, but God looks at our heart. And you look at like, you look at Jacob, and I go back to Jacob. Guy's a mess. Jacob is not a guy I would want to hang out with. Like, I look at Jacob and I think I would probably, as a kid, when we were kids, I would have gave him wedgies. He was, he was kind of a loser. He, uh, he was a mama's boy. He wasn't doing, I mean, he just wasn't cool. But he had a heart for God. You look at David. You know, David would have never been able to lead in any church in America today. Not one. Because he messed up all the time. And none of us would want to follow him. But he had a heart after God. God didn't worry about what he was doing. He was worried about his heart. Esau could probably lead in most churches today. And he could probably get a big following. Because he had the right way of speaking. He had a right way to get people to come along and see him. Yet his heart wasn't for God. And we have to start thinking in that same aspect. Where's our heart at? Are we pleasing to people? Are people looking at us and saying, like, that one got it right. That one's doing good. Are we pleasing to God? It's God saying, that's the one. That really messed up person right there, that one that everybody's looking at, like, wow, what's wrong with them? They have a heart for me. You know, Jacob took a while to get it right. I mean, he's wrestling with Jesus. He's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. You look at everything he does, and you're like, bad choice. Until it wasn't. Until God got him to where he needed to be because he kept setting himself apart for what the Lord was doing. And that's the only way you'll ever be sanctified is by setting yourself apart. Says Esau in verse 38 says, Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered to him and said, Behold, away from me the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. And away from the dew of heaven on high, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. In Genesis 33, we see this. Like, 
You go further on, like in verse 41, he's plotting to kill his brother. He said as soon as his dad dies, he's going to kill his brother. You see all these different things. Uh, Jacob even ends up getting sent off to go look for a wife so he don't get killed. But in verse 33, when they come back together, Jacob's in charge. Esau went his own way. Just like like, uh, Isaac said, there's going to be a time you'll break away and you'll go do your own thing. In verse 33 is the case. They meet for the first time in years. And Jacob's terrified because he's afraid his brother's going to kill him. Right? But in verse 33, or in chapter 33, if you look at Genesis 33, you will see that uh, Esau comes up to him and says, Don't worry about it, brother. I've been blessed. Right? He don't care about his birthright. But he has he has livestock. He has provisions, he has wives, he has kids, he has a great, uh, he has set up a great earthly life for himself. And he no longer wants to kill his brother because he's been blessed. Yet he still doesn't care about that birthright. Right? Because his life looks good. And we do that sometimes, I think. I think sometimes when life's looking good and we're, we're, we're in that grind and we're working and things look good, we can come to the Lord and we're like, man, I'm blessed, I'm good, I have no need. And God's like, you don't have me. I'm not with you. Right? And it's that set apart, being set apart. And we have to evaluate that. Are we more like Esau or are we more like Jacob? If we're being honest, I'd hope we'd all say we're more like Jacob because we're a messed up people. But um, Go to Romans 9. I'm going to read what this says real quick. Romans 9, 10 says, uh, And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And it wasn't the works. Esau could not work enough to get that blessing. Esau was chose because of his heart, where his heart's at. And uh, Ryan, you can come on up. We're going to close in uh, 2 Timothy 2 here in a minute. But a couple questions uh, I just want us to think about in this aspect of, we can look at the, the drastic thought process of Esau and Jacob. But some of the things the Lord had brought to me as this word was coming to me was uh, ourselves. How do we receive the Lord? Right. I, I said this is going to be about are we justified or sanctified? Or do we try to justify our actions or do we try to sanctify our actions? Right. Are we, you know, Esau did everything he thought was right except for ever setting himself apart for the Lord. I don't know that Jacob ever did anything right, but he was set apart for the Lord. And, you know, oftentimes we can come into church and we can hear a message. And that message can be a good word, and you may listen to it. But do you justify why you're not, why you're not going to follow it through? Do you justify why you're okay where you're at? Or do you stop and you pray and you sanctify and you say, Lord... Search me. Am I in this place? Do I need to change? Right? Because oftentimes we'll leave a message and we'll be like, that's a good word for so-and-so. 
and never look at ourselves, right? Sometimes we'll be so justified in where we're at. Well, I still have to go do this. Well, I'm providing for my family, or I'm doing this. I'm tired, so I can do that, right? It, uh, Esau sold his birthright because he was hungry. Well, I was really hungry, so I couldn't do what I was supposed to do right, right? I was really tired, so I couldn't go do what God's calling me to do. Or, you know, this is the way I, I, I relax. This is where I get my peace. This is where, you know, I unwind for the day by doing this. And God's like, I hey, know your rest is in me. Right? Are we choosing God or are we choosing the way we want things to be? Are we justifying what we're doing because it works for us? Or are we sanctifying ourselves because it works for God? Esau did what works for him. Jacob did what works for God. And uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 says, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Iniquity means the wrong way of thinking. What iniquity means, it means that... There's a way of thinking that is God's and there's a way of thinking that is ours. And it can sound like it's good and it can sound like it's okay, but if it's not God's way of thinking, it's iniquity. We're not a part of what he's doing. We have the wrong set of mindset. We try to justify it by saying it's not bad. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will have a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And there's a lot of gold, there's a lot of wood, there's a lot of things God can use, a lot of people he can use, but if it's not set apart for him and it's not holy... And we'll go back to Hebrews 12, and he says, I can't use that. He says it right here, I can't use that. If we're not set apart and holy for the Lord, our actions, our minds, our persons have to be sanctified, not justified, because it's okay what I'm doing. Well, yeah, but so-and-so said I'm doing a good job, right? I don't have to please you. I have to please God. And uh, I always told our youth group this. If you please God, the right people will be pleased. Right? And if you're pleasing God and other people aren't pleased, who cares? They're not the right people to be pleased. Please God. Sanctify yourself. When you hear something, I don't care who's preaching. Pray about it. Be sanctified. There should never be a time that we're hearing God's scriptures trying to let it sanctify instead of justifying why we're not there oh that was for the past oh yeah you know that the, the old sayings all the time well you know that one's just he's too spiritual or you know he's too much he's too holy in that stuff he's he's went too far out there and that uh the you know too heavily minded to be earthly good and hey guess what be earthly minded and no earthly good is fine be more focused on God and he'll take care of the rest, right? But there's always these little sayings that go along in, in Christian circles of uh, the oversaved. You ever heard that one? The oversaved. He's oversaved. You can't be oversaved, I promise you. 
Now, you may be fake. And you may be trying to put on a show, but you can't be oversaved. We need to be so set apart for the Lord and letting Him sanctify us in all things that we're pleasing, that He can use us. Even our messes. If we're set apart from the Lord, He can take your mess and use it. He did it with Jacob. He did it with so many people in Scripture that you look at and you're like, what a jacked up dude. But their heart was set on the Lord. And they always went back to the Lord and allowed Him to search them. And they were honest with themselves. I don't think Jacob ever thought he was a good guy because it took years and years and years for him to finally realize that I'm a leader. Right? So I'm going to close this in prayer and if you need prayer, I'm here. But... It's a little different of a word, but I want us to make sure that when we walk out of here, we are we are set apart, we're holy, we're sanctified in the Lord, and we're not trying to justify why we do the things we do. We're not trying to justify where we're at. And you know what? As you sanctify and you pray and you pray, God may say, hey, just keep doing what I'm calling you to do. Right? Or he may say, hey, you're not that far away. Let's just get some some things straight, right? But we need to pray about it. So, Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that you love us so much that you let us be a part of your plan. That Jesus, that you justified us, that we don't have to justify ourselves. Father God, I pray as we we move forward from this day, Lord, we would always be sanctified in you, Lord. We would always be seeking you first, Lord. And not our own actions, not our own plans, God, and not not to serve ourselves, God, but we would be so focused on serving you, fulfilling what you call us to, Lord. Oh, Father God, help us to want to be more holy as you are holy. Lord, we've we've done well in, in recognizing in the Scripture, Lord, when it says, do not be sexually immoral or, or don't blaspheme people, Lord. We've, we've, we're pretty good at that part at times, Lord. But let us not be... Let's not be set apart for anybody other than you, God. Help us to be holy. And help us to always desire that, Lord. Where we fall short, you be our strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. there is a difference between blessing and birthright with a birthright blessing comes there's not a good father who doesn't want to bless their children right but you have to want that birthright but if we look at our world and uh talking with Kevin about this the other day when you preach a message or if you're at work or you're out somewhere and you're preaching about Jesus Christ most people don't get offended unless they're Christians they don't usually turn away from your message unless they're Christians. That's the ones most affected by our message. They get more offended by the Word of God at times. Unless you start talking about the blessing. If I'm out in the world and I tell them they can't make it to heaven, 
or if I tell them God can't bless them, that's when they get offended. We get offended over, they get offended over not having that blessing. Everybody wants the blessings of God, but very few actually want God. And our birthright is, as Christians, the moment we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, it's oneness with Him. It's that relationship to Him. To be with Him. And He blessed us in that. And that's our birthright. When we have that, we know the blessings will follow. The world wants the blessings, but they don't want Him. And we have to be careful in that. Right? We don't want to be those people who, even as Christians, that are seeking the blessing more than the one who blesses. Right? We'll close some prayer. So, Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to want you more than anything else. To want that birthright, Lord, that unity with you, that oneness with you, to be reconnected with you, God. To where our sins kept us from you, Lord, your Son came and he died for our sins to make us one with you again, Lord. God, let us never despise that. Never Let us never reject that. Let us never be a people to live in a way that we want your blessing more than we want you, more than we want that birthright. Father God, I pray and I thank you and I'm so grateful to you, Lord, that you still bless us in our birthright. Help us live with people, Lord, that are set apart for you and not to focus on the blessing, but to focus on you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you all.